What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of the Mental Dive Podcast, where we talk anything and everything, sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. On today's podcast, I am so, so pumped to be joined by Matt O'Connor. Matt is a professional hockey goaltender. He played a game for the Ottawa Senators back in 2015. And throughout the course of the podcast, me and Matt talk a lot about his hockey career in terms of carving his own path the importance of self-awareness when it comes to the goaltender position in ice hockey, as well as a lot of different tips and tricks on how he worked on his mental game throughout his career. So I hope everyone really enjoys the episode today, and I'd love to hear what everyone thinks of it. So feel free to reach out to me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Taylor Staden, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. Enjoy the podcast. Awesome. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by Matt O'Connor. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. No problem. So I guess just to kind of start off, I'm kind of curious. So this past season, you had your first season overseas in Denmark. What was that whole process like for you at the, at the end of the season with you know COVID-19 and having to try to get back to Canada? Yeah, I think Denmark handled it uh, pretty well. They were pretty proactive at social distancing and whatnot. So we played a couple games without fans. Um, and then that obviously started to hurt the revenues of the clubs they met and um, they ideally wanted to hopefully have it blow over. <laughs> yeah. but it seems like it's definitely uh, not a short term thing. Um, and so we were going to maybe hang around and do a different playoff structure, figure that out. And then as uh, you know, the U S and, and Trump and Trudeau started leaning down on restrictions. I think the teams felt like it would be a little unfair if they didn't let us get home safe. So I got home safe and sound and in March, uh, played the full regular season, but we missed out on playing Alborg in the first round of playoffs, which we were really looking forward to because of our uh, kind of strength against them throughout the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that would definitely be a little disappointing um, given the fact that you know, you, you play well against them throughout this season. and um, But, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's at the same time, it's definitely a good thing that the teams let you get back and, you know, kind of saw the, the bigger picture there. So, I, yeah. you know, I love that. Um, so, as we kind of talked about, one of the reasons why, why I wanted to talk, uh, interview you was you've had quite the career, right? Like, really, like, you know, having to carve your own path, dating all the way back to minor midget, not dropped to the OHL, not dropped to the NHL, and eventually becoming a top – um, NCAA free agent how about we just like take a bit of a step back and we kind of talk about your journey you know with hockey and uh, just kind of go along the way yeah I think growing up uh, education was pretty big in my family but hockey was uh, obviously my passion um, but there was never really a serious um, push necessarily until I played on a really successful uh, minor hockey league team in the GTHL, the Humber Valley Sharks. And that's sort of, I think, I think every, uh, you know, professional hockey player has a minor hockey experience when the parents and the kids really feel like there's something here. And obviously it takes a big investment and a huge support circle to get anyone um, up the ranks. Um, and I had amazing support from my parents but my dad wasn't a hockey uh, hockey player, and um, it wasn't until AAA when things started to get um, 
pretty serious. I remember those GTHL Toronto Marley junior Canadians games were on another level with respects to the intensity and the pressure. And it was, it was a great time. I mean, players will tell you like the GTHL hockey uh, parents can get pretty wild. I've seen (laughs) full blown uh, parental conflicts in the stands uh, after games. And um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to go to junior A and, and have that independence and uh, have it a little bit more on your path because there's definitely a lot of parental influence uh, then. So growing up in Toronto, hockey um, was a big deal. And I was a bit of a late bloomer. A lot of my uh, goalie partners and, and uh, teammates were on a sort of better development path for the OHL. Um, I do remember going to the under 17 GTHL tournament and uh, telling the, the uh, coach of our team, who was a, an OHL scout, that I wanted to play in an Ivy League school, <laughs> which is definitely something you, uh, you don't tell the OHL scouting uh, yeah, <laughs> that you're <no> kidding. <laughs> pretty focused, that your dream is for like Harvard or Yale or something mm-hmm. on those regards so I mean there's my there's my excuse for not going in the 12th <laughs> round as the uh, Toronto Marley's backup goalie <laughs> um, but from that point on uh, I was fortunate enough to play junior A in the OGHL and then the USHL was when my career was probably the best thing I ever did for my career was to go south of the border I remember at my USHL tryout camp there was 12 division one coaches there including BU and Merrimack who were in talks with me and yeah I just I sort of always had that underdog mentality just being mm-hmm. uh, kind of a late bloomer and then that work ethic and focusing on my weaknesses kind of eventually caught up to my my frame because I did have a huge growth sport spurt up to six five um, which is pretty convenient as a goalie um, so when that all started coming together I think I saw that maybe my second year in the USHL when I started to really get my confidence and be on the, the radar um, for maybe NHL central scouting. And um, BU was just a whole other chapter that we could spend a lot of time talking about. But um, just to give you the overview, I've definitely uh, had my ups and downs in my career and uh, learned how to control my mind, how to, use it as a weapon and not have it get in your own way. I think that's sort of, I guess it's the mastery of all goalies is a challenge of all goalies, but for some, some goalies, you know, have the privilege of not having to, to really result resort to that. So hats off to the guys who can just suit up, you know, and uh, let their body do, do the tricks, shut, shut the door. But um, for me, it was definitely, really um, instrumental in my development when I used my mentality and my mindset to help me um, kind of prove, prove people wrong in some regards. Um, and then later on use it to get out of my own way. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I guess that really speaks testament to the idea of trying to master your process, right? Like, like you talked about, you know, focusing on your weaknesses and, and trying to build on those. And one thing that, I find really interesting that you've said to me before is the fact that goaltending is the master test of self-awareness. 
And I would love to kind of pick your brain a little more into what exactly you mean by that and why self-awareness is so key to, to being a goalie and how it's helped you so much throughout your career. Thank you. Uh, that's a, that's a good quote, uh, by, uh, by actually my goalie coach, Andy Kyoto, but thanks for the reference. Cause it's a, it's such an incredible, um, position in that you have all different types of, of bodies, minds, styles, um, and there's no one blueprint. I mean, goaltending technically has moved to this uniform one size fits all butterfly style. And it's, it's gotten to a point where we know what's effective. We know the reverse VH is efficient. It's, you know, say sealing the sealing the ice and we know how to handle depth and obviously bigger goalies don't require as much depth, but other than adjustments for size, it's, it's moving to a relatively uniform uh, technique. However, you get all different types of personalities, you know, and, um, and even body types. Like I know Carey Price, they talk about his, his lower body strength, you know, his, his leg channels on his pads are custom because he's got such strong, thick legs and it allows him to be so quick and stable and, in his movement around the crease. And then you have, you know, Matt Murray, who's, you know, obviously a leaner frame and tons of goalies like that, like Ryan Miller. Um, so with respects to the game, um, a goalie who's always fine tuning and self-aware of what he needs to work on. That's the goalie that's going to be dominant. And, um, those small adjustments, whether it be just working on your depth or, um, you know, even in, to the most tiny adjustment you can make with your tracking and your eyes, getting your head over the, over the puck when you're moving laterally, uh, it, it literally turns people's seasons around. Um, you know, you even have goalies coming up from the, you know, Devin, Devin Dubnik, you know, he worked a lot on his head tracking and then he had his dominant season, but his self-awareness of what he needed to work on is really what propelled him. Um, but I think, yeah, I've seen goalies, you know, one of my goalie partners in Milwaukee was UC Saros and he's about five, I think he's about six feet actually, but maybe 5'11", mm -hmm. um, which is very small for, for an NHL goalie. Uh, and at the development camp, we had Pekka Rune, Lindback, and myself, who were all 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, and just to see the advantages of maybe, you know, the smaller frame, as long as he's self-aware of his weakness through traffic. But, you know, as a smaller goalie, I always tell people if I was a general manager, I'd be hunting down those small agile goalies uh, that are underrated and undervalued because mm -hmm. there's no holes. Right. And so if he's self-aware and he's able to work on his, um, you know, obviously coverage his depth. And if he's athletic enough, you know, Jake Hildebrand, who I played with in the ECHL, he's got to be around, you know, five, nine and an incredible goalie. And when they move laterally, there's no holes. It's a really um, good seal and on that shot line. So as long as, you know, everyone's working on their self-awareness as goalies, you know, our game kind of takes care of itself, but there's been times where I might've thought I've got that area covered or, you know, I've got this area under control and I didn't, you know, I mean, uh, in college, I might've done one or two puck playing drills. 
uh, in my career. And that goes without saying that puck playing was probably, and especially uh, certain, certain types of sort of simple routine plays would have been an area that maybe my muscle memory wasn't as developed in, but if there was an open net back door and I maybe did it a hundred reps of those or my visualization before the game was all big saves. Uh, and you know, if I had had the self-awareness and that's when your goalie coach comes into play as well, then I think that's, that's the competitive edge. So I was fortunate enough in my career to really found a guy that, um, you know, I think is one of the best goalie coaches in, in the game right now, Andy Kyoto. And um, I've had other great goalie coaches like Corey Cooper uh, in Binghamton who have really seen my game and seen with a clear lens and allowed me to implement what I need to work on in my, in my game. So, yeah, I just think just to summarize and without getting on too much of a tangent, I think, you know, the, the model for goaltending is self-awareness. It's not, you know, being big. It's not being, you know, super flexible even. You, some, some goalies can get away with, with not being the most agile gymnastics type athlete. Um, but they are making up for it in other ways be, because they know their, their, their game so well. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's something that maybe a lot of athletes kind of get in, into writing is, you know, it feels good when we accomplish something. So we really, really like working on our strengths. But since we, we don't really like working on our weaknesses as much just because it doesn't feel as good. And we feel outside of our comfort zone. And, you know, we're worried about making mistakes. But I think, and even more so, you know, you talk about the different style of goalies, you talk about Yuzi Saros. I think you yeah, got about 5'11". He started today, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I got a guy like Pecorine who's a lot taller, but he's ridiculously athletic. So it's not only just about, you know, you want to maximize your strengths, but that's Mm -hmm. not to say you don't want to ignore your weaknesses either. And I guess that also just kind of feeds into the idea of being proactive with your performance. You know, you talked about, you know, a bit of pregame imagery and trying to get those mental reps in. And you talk about, you know, being proactive with trying to improve on your weaknesses so in that way, when they come about, you're not, you know, so, so left out, you know, like, you know, talk about playing with the puck, you know, you only maybe did it twice in your career, whereas, you know, back to our past year, hundred reps. So, you know, I love that. Um, and so. And just, just to add to that too, before we go mm-hmm. on is, you know, as a goalie, those weaknesses will get exploited. Like mm-hmm. at, at the higher level, you know, that, and that's the beauty of video and, and building from those those uh moments of self-awareness um but you know with the way the game's moving players are are getting so smart so accurate with their shot and you could have one small adjustment with your elbow that you don't notice throughout the week maybe it's on the release it's kind of flaring outward instead of driving straight down and that awareness is going to be exposed so especially with goalies when you're your weaknesses are essentially what cost the team, you know, it's success and there's no margin for error. Um, working on your weaknesses is obviously uh, super essential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so kind of, kind of going back to a bit, what I was talking about earlier with in terms of carving your own path and creating your own reality, you know, you go through the junior system, you know, in Canada, you go down to the USHL, you finish up at Boston college after three years. Oh wait, no, BU, my bad. Yeah, be you after, after three years. And then yeah. you find yourself signing an NHL deal with the Senators. What was that kind of moment like for you after always having to carve your own path and, you know, not maybe getting selected in drafts 
to, to sign an NHL contract because a lot of NHL drafted players don't even get that opportunity. Yeah, I think Jake Cooper, my uh, sports psych at BU, and I can talk about his impact on my game because it was incredible, but, or just, you know, his, his support was essential for me to recover from that experience in the Frozen Four, losing the national championship on, you know, that type, type of mistake. Um, so he was great at explaining um, so much in that regard. And uh, yeah, I'm sort of going on a bit of a tangent here, but oh, by all means. Um, yeah, I definitely think you can have that underdog narrative. And um, as your career progresses, it's good to be adaptable and know what kind of mindset tool to lean on. Um, and that, or, or maybe to eliminate the, your head from the game, right? Not think. Um, but at various times that, you know, your my, my mental game can be your, your uh, it could be your, your dagger or it could be your Achilles heel. Um, so I think for me, yeah, definitely moving from the underdog to then being, you know, the most sought after college free agent. So it's important to be able to adapt. And uh, Jay Cooper, who's worked with uh, prison mates, war vets, uh, and he was great for, you know, just keeping me moving forward after the frozen four. Um, but yeah, he, he was important at, uh, essential at explaining that there's two types of motivation. There's motivation for ego, you know, and, and obviously that self-esteem and that, you know, self-respect amongst, and respect amongst your peers. And, you know, we all know that that's a powerful proving people wrong and all that narrative, but there's another whole entirely different, um, motivator and it's way more, um, I, I would say it's in, endurance, like it, it's way more long-term fuel and that's just mastery. So when you're motivated for self-mastery, um, you, you know, you're, you're unstoppable because you're, you're, you're so consistent. And I think, uh, consistency as a goalie is such an incredible, um, you know, aspect to your game. And so as soon as I went more internal, focusing on just, you know, my own game, regardless of, you know, if I'm playing against the Montreal Canadiens or, you know, uh, Wichita, Kansas in ECHL or, you know, playing for the Wheeling Nailers or in Denmark, you know, that internal evaluation that internal self-awareness and the motivation and setting those small wins for yourself as well are huge. You know, you have to give yourself that pat on the back. If you played lights out and you lost two, one in overtime, you can't, you can't go down the whole, the whole road with the team that, that night, uh, if you accomplished your job and you know, if you played outstanding according to your own metrics and your goalie coaches metrics, then you need to build on that. And, you need to try to continue to master your craft as opposed to we lost the game, you know, we're down we're not making playoffs and um, mm. all the other sort of distractions. Yeah, for sure. And I, that speaks to the idea too of just, you know, outcomes versus process, right? Like, you know, hockey is a team sport, you know, you could make 59 out of 60 saves and lose the game. And that certainly doesn't mean yeah. that you played a bad game. You probably played the best game of your life. Um, so I really like what you're talking about here in terms of redefining your own success, just because you're evaluating yourself off a lot more of controllable factors to your performance, you know, like your work ethic, like your play, like your positioning, whatnot, 
as well as whatever you're using with your goalie coach, opposed to, you know, what happened throughout the whole game where there's so many things that just simply aren't in your control. Yeah. And it is really uh, a breakthrough when you look around and you realize that 90% of what people talk about and what you might even be focusing on is just a distraction. You know, whether it be where you are in the lineup, depth chart, you know, getting sent down to what team, to this, that, salaries, score. To some degree, the score of the game is a distraction from you tracking the puck and just making this and stopping the puck. Mm -hmm. And then you can move into the coach. You know, the dialogue you have with your head coach before a game, is that really essential? You know, there's just so many distractions. Uh, and I think um, goalies are they the really introverted goalies have almost a head up in this in this regard um you know i know some goalies they turn their phone off on the day of the game and there was a classic story of a bu goalie who would go to class and he would have a sign with him and he as soon as the teacher was calling on people for questions or called on him for a question he would hold a sign up in the in the classroom that says game day i don't speak on game day or <laughs> really? Or, yeah, I remember it was just, and then it became like a known thing, but he was just so dialed in and focused, I guess. Obviously, uh, I don't know how he would sustain that. Maybe in a college hockey schedule um, with so few games, you can sort of do that. Whereas in pro, you have to be definitely a very more, more efficient with your energy. You can't mm -hmm. be focusing on the game all day long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it's interesting when I just wanted to add to that, like there's so many distractions, even no matter what job you have, whether it being a goalie or, you know, an accountant, especially now during these times. So, you know, mindfulness, training, um, allowing to clear your mind. Those are just such an incredible, incredible tools in the, in the mental game toolbox to have more so than necessarily uh, some of the other things I've talked about. Mm hmm. No, big time. And one experience that I'd love to touch on is your first NHL game, right? Like, you know, you, you sign that contract next season, you, you get the call and you're in net and you're playing against the Montreal Canadiens of all teams as well. What was that whole kind of process like for you, like leading up to the game, going through the game? Like, like how, how are you feeling? I, I'd love to just go through it. Yeah, I think uh, what was very serendipitous was – the training camp and um, it was very eerie because when I got sent down almost all, all the trainers and equipment managers, they were being very positive and they were saying, you're going to be back. Like, you know, you're going to be, you'll be back before long. And as I sort of went down, I had a lot of confidence from my training camp. Um, I felt like, you know, I was going to be back. It wasn't going to be just go down to American league and, and stay there for the rest of your career kind of thing which sometimes you, you never know what can happen with, mm -hmm. with prospects. And it's not really in your control. Uh, I arrived in Binghamton that night. I woke up, I went to the holiday Inn breakfast. I got to the rink. I remember them taking my getch out of my laundry bag to switch it to the Binghamton. I hopped on the ice for about 15 minutes with some of the veteran players who were in the sort of the later wave of getting sent down from main camp. And the door just opened the equipment manager started screaming at me to get off the ice. You're going to Montreal. You're going to Montreal. So I jumped off the ice, threw my stuff in the driver's service, came eventually. He actually didn't 
really know where we were going. So I remember using my GPS on my phone to get us <laughs> to the border. Um, I, I think this is just for a pre the preseason game in 2015. And uh, when we entered like Montreal, there was traffic. And I think it was a 7.15 game. And uh, yeah, I think it was like pushing 6 o'clock, 6.15 or so. We're getting into the Montreal area. And I see there's a lane that's the carpool lane. And I said to him, we should be in that, move there. Long story short, they met me at the loading docks, grabbed my bag, threw my gear on, and made it on the ice for warm-ups in, uh, against Montreal. And, they, you know, Mark Stone and Oroweki giving me a hit on the pad, and we're laughing about short trip to the minors, <laughs> uh, about 20, <laughs> 20 minutes on the ice. So that was, uh, you know, interesting. But it, it kind of goes back to also the, the manifestation, right? In my mind, I'd written in my journal, I'm an Ottawa senator, I'm an Ottawa senator. I'm so happy and grateful to be an Ottawa senator and, you know, the power of the mind, you know, science has yet to prove the quantum elements of, of things like that. We don't have to dive too deep into that, but uh, it was very powerful when I returned and I continued where I left off with Rick Walmsley, played a preseason game, played well. I think I, I got two in and then we went to Toronto for game two of the season. and. Um, we ended up going to shootout. Uh, so Craig Anderson was a bit, you know, obviously going right from the off season to two games and then on a shootout, there was some fatigue there. So I remember Rick Walmsley saying, as we returned home for the home opener, just be ready. So I went to bed that night. I remember talking to my friend from the USHL and, and saying, there's a chance I'm starting tomorrow. So I'm going to go to bed now, <laughs> but it wasn't until nine 30 in the morning. Um, got to the rink. Uh, Rick Walmsley just gave me the point. You're, you're starting tonight. I said, great. Made the calls. Um, my grandmother is that was actually struggling with ALS at the time. And she lives in Montreal. So my uncle and my mom and sister, I said, Kate, I don't like any distractions as my sister. I said, make sure you get all these people to my game tonight. I'm playing, you know, it's happening. Um, so you know, I, I think I did a good job at handling the distractions, finding out at 9.30. I think it was an afternoon, earlier start game as well. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the home opener. So it was Eugene Melnick's first game back. Or I mean, as if he was a player, right? But his first, <laughs> uh, you know, night out in the press box. Um, so he made his uh, thank you to the fans for his uh, donation for his organ transplant. And uh, we won't get too into the politics of um, stuff with respects to him talking to the team in February and regarding this goalie decision to have me play. Uh, we won't get into that. But um, there was definitely a lot of distractions, but I was, I was happy with how focused I was. Um, you know, there was a, a weakness in my game that was exposed with Placanic on the half wall. I remember Later on in my career, I actually played with a, a player from Czech, um, Dan Vladar, who skates with Placanic, and he says Placanic masters that shot from the from the corner. Like that's his trick. Yeah. He just gets you off guard, and he'll just shoot it right off the cowling of your boot. And obviously, uh, you know, if you're prepared or you have a good post work in play, 
that's a neat routine save. So that was one goal. Then there was a breakaway and uh, tip in from Subban's shot from the point. 36 saves, still managed. We lost 3-1. But I did soak it in. And I remember during the game, playing out of love, not fear. Just, you know, I actually even remember just the, um, when we're talking about the margins, like over-challenging Pacioretty or I forget who it was. It might've been uh, Gallagher on, you know, low slot shot. I remember just by being, you know, maybe an inch over challenging that with how much poise they have when they're in those shooting areas. And, um, you know, it, it, to be able to get across for a backdoor save on Pacioretty. And I just remember thinking like, Thank God, you know, I didn't overcommit. Um, so it's just such a fast game. Um, you do have the best defenseman in the world, and it, it's a really clean game. To be honest, it was actually probably one of my easiest games in professional hockey, playing in the NHL. And that's something that some people say is, is common with goalies, because as you move down to the lower, uh, you know, lower leagues, uh, it just it gets less controlled. Right. It was so crisp, it was so uh, tight and clean, you know, as a goalie, like just the puck movement, the, the tempo, very consistent. It's just that top gear. Um, whereas, you know, as you move down to the minor leagues, you get a lot of puck bounces and different tempos, third line versus the first line, um, certain other variables. Um, so that game was... Uh, was a was a great experience um always always remember it and back to my grandmother uh my grandmother who had ALS who ended up passing away later on that year she was able to see my NHL game and I get goosebumps and chills when I sort of talk about how how meaningful that was because it was it just felt so like my grandmother and I have always had a great relationship and it was really magical to um, have her in the locker room after the game in my stall. There's a photo of me with her in my stall. And um, at the time, uh, she had lost the ability to speak, so she was communicating on the iPad. And, but she was getting tearing, tearing up and, and uh, just tears of joy. And it was just a, an incredible uh, first, first pro hockey game experience. So, I mean, I think my dad knew some statistic I was one of the goalies since the 1960s to play his first, to go from the NCAA to the NHL and start. So I guess, it, it, <laughs> you know, looking back, uh, I, you know, I was able to um, play my first pro game as an NHL home opener. Not many people can, can say that, but I definitely t took it all in. And I remember, as the season progressed in Binghamton, even when things were getting really ugly down there, I could, I just remember waking up and just realizing I played in the NHL. Like it, it really did last, you know, and you know, that's what's so no one can, no one can take that away from me. And I do look back and sort of wish I did, you know, go a bit easier on myself because, but it, to be honest, it, it's a big tease you know, to be able to feel like you can play and then you get down there, you're, you're, you're like a possessed demon to try to get back up. You know, there's nothing like playing the national hockey league. So 
um, that was sort of my NHL debut experience. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a unique one. And I guess you're never really going to be able to pick the time and pick that picture perfect, uh, you know, call up right after three shutouts in Binghamton and the team is not on a three and three on the road the night before or something, you know, it's so I'm very grateful for, uh, to have made it happen in Ottawa centers organization. I always, um, you know, really have a lot of gratitude for how they developed me. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I must ask, do you still have your Jersey from your first NHL game? Um, it's on a, yeah, it's uh, actually in a plaque. So they came down in Binghamton, um, and they they do a great job uh, at um, honoring your first NHL game in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, after the game, usually probably it's definitely after a loss. I remember them making an announcement and us getting a little round of applause from the boys <laughs> and getting a plaque. Awesome. With, uh, yeah, because they take a photo actually of the game, so a lot of long faces because we lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a photo of me kneeling down with uh, the whole NHL club and. I remember Carlson after the game, you know, he told me great game and there was a, you know, it definitely, I kept them in the game and we were mm-hmm. down two one um, for a really long part of the second half and we couldn't, couldn't catch up. But, uh, well, again, yeah, I think, Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. And then, um, you know, I, I wish I had another chance, right. To, but, you know, I was, I was still able to, thankfully uh give the give the guys a chance and i think that's that's our job as goalies we've got to give our team a chance to win mm-hmm. and uh, it goes back to working on your game and and making um you know mastering your craft and that will enable you to do that mm-hmm. absolutely um and i guess just as well you know at, so after you had your first NHL game over the next few seasons, you found yourself switching between a lot of teams. I noticed one year you played for, you know, five different organizations, five of them in the ECHL. What was this kind of experience like for you in terms of just not being able to get your, your feet set, um, you know, w- with a certain team? And, like, how did you kind of process all this change? Yeah, there's this weird trend that when a goalie uh, is given starts, they end up playing well <laughs> when they get to play. <laughs> It's easier, definitely easier to find your groove. Uh, I noticed like in Binghamton when I was, you know, maybe given a bit of space to get a couple games under my belt, uh, you know, I got back to that flow state, right, that we all talk about. And uh, it's, it was, uh, it was sort of one organization because I was really on contract with Nashville. Right. And, and because they didn't have an ECHL affiliate, I was essentially a e-bug in, in, in the coast for that season. Mm-hmm. So you know, I thought about, I got a small memoir written about the frozen four, but I was telling someone the other day about some of the, the stories in, in that season. And they were telling me I should maybe write, write about it. And I thought I can't have two memoirs, you know, (laughs) let's just have a nice steady, steady, uh, (laughs) career. And, um, but yeah, I think, um, that, I think it was, you said it was six, it was six teams in one season. Yeah. So, well, from my memory, it was, you played a couple for Milwaukee in the A yeah. and there's yeah. five different teams in the coast. Yeah. So I think it was, I ended up calculating it was about 13,000 miles traveled by air. And uh, I don't know how many by bus. I remember we would, 
I got sent down to Atlanta and they're playing in Brampton. So we would bus from Atlanta, Georgia to Brampton, Ontario, uh, transfer over. So it was actually more of a really trying season off the ice. It was just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't wish that on my worst goalie enemy, to be honest. Um, But, you know, for me, I managed to get uh, a win, a couple wins with um, two wins with Manchester. So I didn't finish the season without any wins, but I wasn't really playing much other than that one month in Quad City. And and that was a very difficult situation. I remember uh, actually the team was striking. Um, They thought it was a good idea to not go down the bus to try to make a coaching change. Um, and we had a couple games with four defensemen. Um, and yeah, there's, there's not a lot that the hockey DB uh, has included in there. And I think it's important. I mean, it was important for me to prove everyone wrong again, that following season when I did get a ch- chance to play for Wheeling and Wilkes-Barre and kind of, you know, show people my game, but, yeah, that season was definitely an asterisk. And um, to be honest, it really hurt my value even going to Europe. Um, so, yeah, it is a business. And uh, it's definitely a question mark when you've had, you know, an 83 safe percentage or 86 safe percentage in, uh, in a month in the coast. But um, I, I think it's important to watch goalies and evaluate based on that. and. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the puck never lies eventually, you know, it's just, a, it's just a matter of really getting that opportunity. And I had been blessed with some incredible opportunity and I used the following off season to go all in, like I've never done before. I actually sold my belongings. It was my, essentially, you know, it, I had not a single phone ringing, right. It was, it was more to a point where I actually called, um, Wilkes-Barre and through their goalie coach uh, was able to go to their training camp as a practice goalie and then get an invite to to try out for Wheeling Nailers and uh, you know it's it, for my for me in my career it was definitely um, interesting to have that full spectrum uh, you know where you're you're first class on flying from Montreal to Buffalo you're up in the air for 40 minutes and you have a full salmon dinner for a preseason game wow. against the Buffalo Sabres to mm-hmm. a 14 to 16 hour bus trip on a truck that might not even be certified to be a passenger bus, mm-hmm. like an 18 wheeler that wow. has bunks in it. Um, and, you know, having everything against you. And that's when you really see what kind of man you are. You know, there's no BU starting goalie uh you know jack eichel on my team when i'm you know down down there uh so yeah it was it was a, a incredibly humbling experience i took my time with nashville as an extreme magnifier on my areas that, of my weaknesses mm-hmm. so yes i would have rather to be been treated differently and given more opportunity but at the same time i wasn't going to waste all the the self-awareness that i was gaining because there's always truth, you know, to, to negative feedback. There's usually, I mean, I wouldn't say always truth. There's a lot of haters, but you know, it might be hard to see at the time, but there was, there, I wasn't good enough. So, you know, 
Yeah. And I mean, that I feel, I feel like a lot of this goes back to what you're saying earlier. I can earlier. go on and make all these. Sorry? Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about hockey being a business, right? Like yeah. at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot, a lot of them, you know, might not necessarily care. And, yeah. you know, one thing that maybe I'd like to touch on just, just as we wrap up is, you know, conditional happiness streams, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, trying to, you know, I'm sure you could talk a lot, of, a lot more about it. You know, we, we have before, but um, just really like trying to find it within yourself to find that enjoyment um, when maybe there's mm-hmm. like a lack of, you know, from your environment. Yeah. The love for the game. That's what, that, that's what obviously, you know, that's what lets you sign that $300 ECHL tryout contract. You know, and that's what, I mean, I think I was happier signing that contract than maybe uh, my contract with Nashville, you know, to some degree, like it's all relative, right? Mm -hmm. It's your own journey. And uh, the comparison, I remember coming across um, a video of myself when I was 17 at a OJHL Newmarket game. And, you know, I just had like a great game. And I thought this guy would, would look at me and say, you better be like grateful yeah for your ability to play in ECHL and play professional goalie and you know you owe it to yourself to fix any aspects of your game and go all in and um, surround yourself by the right people as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah essentially that summer after that season I trained at with Matt Nickel and I went all in invested in my career and it was you know the best thing I've ever done for my game it's not smoke and mirrors, you know, in the lab of the NHL. It's not uh, just fancy biosteel drinks. It's, it's pretty much the most, um, I think, the most beneficial environment for any athlete. And there's a reason why Matt Nichol is such a great uh, strength coach. But, um, yeah, just to wrap things up, I think the love for the game is what fuels us. And it, it's, there's a lot of distractions. And uh, it's really important to continue to find that love for the game, do what you need to do to find that, take the bigger, bigger picture lens, you know, meditate, maybe change your social circle. If you're being so defined as, you know, a certain person, uh, whatever you have to do. Um, so I think there's a lot to sort of learn from, from my career. I hope some, some goalies out there can benefit and, uh, I appreciate you um, having me on. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'll let you get going. I know you got you got an appointment at five thirty, but um, again, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your story. I'm sure a lot of goalies can can benefit from um, your experiences and your perspectives. Thanks, Taylor. I appreciate it. So that wraps it up for episode 36 of the Mental Dive Podcast. As always, I really, really do appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to my podcasts. And again, I would like to thank Matt O'Connor for joining me for episode 36 of the Mental Dive Podcast. As well, like I mentioned earlier, please feel free to reach out to me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Taylor Staden. That's at T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. Everybody, have a great rest of your day, and I'm looking forward to releasing another podcast for you soon. Peace.